Welcome to a Miniatures Monthly Podcast Special. <gasps> That's the sound of Nagash. Of Nagash <laughs> in the realm of death. <laughs> the spooky god. In the realm of light. In a place suspended between the realm of also darkness and also death and also light. Mm. Is the city of Shadespire, Tom. The city of Shadespire has arrived and it's full of twats. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why we don't write the flavor text. Want to kill everyone. <laughs> There's a, there is a detailed, uh, detailed law behind it, which mm. is actually quite interesting. It has some interesting connotations, especially for the Stormcast, I would say. We should talk about that, but briefly we should explain what we're doing. Yes, that's a good point. Um, so, uh, hello everybody. We're going to do a one-off, probably about one hour-ish podcast special this month. Mm. So for the first time, you're getting two miniatures monthlies in a month. We'll still do the other three in a bit hour. Uh, oh yeah, hobby. that's happening Don't next worry, week. That is still coming. Um, but because today is the release day for Shadespire, the kind of standalone skirmish game, Age of Set in the same setting as the Age of Sigma, which we have alluded to already, um, that came out today as of the time we're recording this, and hopefully is the time I'm going to get this up. So mm. I'm hoping to turn this around very quickly. Um, that came out today. Uh, we went to Game Workshop this morning to pick it up. We have played two games now, um, and so we thought we would share some thoughts and actually talk about this game sort of a nice session partly so that it doesn't take up like a good half of uh this month's regular minis pod indeed but also um because i think it warrants it because this is um i've been really excited I, I, as um i don't know about you tom but as Shadespire has drawn closer i've gotten more excited for it in the manner of in a way i usually associate with being excited for a new game like mm. a video game right like it's had that kind of oh that's coming this week that's exciting like yeah getting um work done yesterday so that i knew i had today free properly free mm. to enjoy it it's been a thing yeah i've certainly been getting excited about it as well um particularly because i think they did a, they've done a good job of teasing a lot of the factions still to come so mm. the, the the initial box comes with two fully formed war bands um decks for each of them but also enough cards to start deck building if you want to yeah it's a, which is a really nice package like often you don't get to do like very in-depth de- deck building with starter packs in this sort of game necessarily um but it seems like there are some interesting options there yeah it's, it's a very full-featured starter pack i would say yeah it doesn't it, i don't feel like i'm going to be required to go out and buy extra stuff to actually unlock the potential of the warbands or to unlock different ways of playing with those warbands. yeah i'm really interested in talking about it feels like we have uh a big subject to, to attack in this game and mm. it's sort of it's interesting to figure out what angle we should approach it from mm. because that that in and of itself is a very interesting thing that if you um maybe one way to approach it is kind of what this means for, for gw so this is a very different kind of game to the ones they've produced before uh, it's a skirmish game but it's not analogous to something like shadow war or necromunda or mordheim in that it is not a campaign game and it doesn't really use any of the rules of you, you know how like uh Shadow War is a sort of boiled down version of 40k, right? Yeah. This is not a boiled down version of Age of Sigmar. That's Skirmish. Skirmish mm. exists. That's what that's for, even though the model count is similar. Indeed. Um, this is a, uh, actually probably reminds me more of Blood Bowl, mm. actually, um, in, in some ways. Like it's a, it's a, com- it's a competitive combat and deck building game, more like a board game, uh, that happens to use those characters. Um, but it's designed for competitive play. And it's priced and kind of positioned 
I would say directly opposite X-Wing. Right. I don't know if that's a, you would agree with that assertion or even things like hero clicks. Yeah. I, I, I'd say that it's more complete as a starting package than X-Wing was. Like, Definitely. Um, because it, as I said before that, you know, X-Wing leaves, leaves you with loads of hooks, like to go and buy other stuff to get the good cards to actually start filling out the starter mm. sets. Whereas this feels like as a box, very complete. Like as though you're going to get a lot of play out of it. Yeah. Maybe that's a place to start with what's in the box. Mm. So, uh, it's a 40 pound box, um, which is, actually pretty good i think by both board game standards and gw standards yeah and that contains obviously the rules for the game uh two double-sided uh sort of uh like uh, playboard tiles which we'll get to i suppose um and two warbands you have three stormcast eternals uh and five corn blood reavers and you you get obviously the dice and tokens and things that you need but you also get um so fully built uh decks for each of those factions we can get into what exactly that means i guess when we talk about the rules but like mm. those are two we've played with those twice now and those are full but they're not like starter versions like sometimes you get a competitive game and it's like oh if you play this competitively a full deck will be 30 cards but here's the 20 cards yeah. to start with destiny star wars destiny works that way sure um this those are both fully constructed army decks basically the work as far as we can tell pretty mm. well you also get a deck of about the same amount of cards again of optional cards to do deck building. And that includes new specific cards for both the Stormcast and the Corn Bloodbound, as well as a big set of neutral additional cards that introduce other mechanics. Hmm. So I, yeah, it's interesting. Like if you compare that offering to the X-Wing starter set, which is cheaper at 25 quid, but the X-Wing starter set gives you enough to play a game that is about 60% of the points value no, not even that. Right. Probably less than half. Mm. No, wait, what am I talking about? I just remembered what's in the X-Wing Corset. <laughs> um, the X-Wing Corset gives you enough to play a game that's between a third and 40% of the points value of what would be considered a competitive X-Wing game. Right. So you're looking at like, you'd be looking at three corsets at least to play a full 100 point game of X-Wing or probably an equivalent investment in other expansions. Yeah. Dep- it depends what you buy. But sure. like, yeah, like it would, you'd at least get close to the sort of shades by thing and you wouldn't have a lot of flexibility hmm. in terms of uh moving pieces around within that set of initial pieces yeah but i mean uh, yeah i mean i imagine we've both seen that like actually it's quite it seems like quite a lot of scope for yeah changing but, things. definitely yeah i mean uh, first of all the two included factions do play and behave very differently and we'll get into precisely how when we get into the rules stuff um particularly with objective cards and the way they like how themey they are and how differently mm. you uh, these like uh, the way that shades by works is that um different factions have different ways of cashing in points almost in every round and that incentivizes them to play in a certain you know either aggressively or defensively depending on how you build your deck which is a really cool thing and all of that is in place already from what we've seen in this in the starter set like all of that is in the default decks and there are interesting options in the extra cards to let you adjust that and actually change the way you're yeah it's almost it's like the default deck is sort of um doesn't require you to go in with a particular strategy in mind Mm. which is appropriate for like my first game kind of type builds and then the optional cards the core set provides are all about allowing you to say i want to configure my warband slightly more aggressively or Mm. i want to configure it slightly more defensively or i want to do something weird um you know i don't know if there's like Obviously, subsequent expansions will provide more scope for that kind of thing. But I would have, uh, and this may be, maybe the value of the box is not uh, the most exciting thing to like to open with. But I was impressed, 
Like, I think I would have been impressed with the box had it not had that additional deck of, like, and now deck building mm. stuff in it, if it was just the two army decks and yeah. that was it. I think it would have been fine. Mm. But the fact that that's in there and not an additional purchase or something is actually really kind of cool because it's... Yeah, it's, 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 it is really cool. I think they've... Um, it's a really good decision because they're about to go straight into competitive tournaments, like yeah. uh, Games Workshop run competitive tournaments. And if everyone's just coming into it with the starter set and the starter head set had no flexibility, then it's going to be perhaps quite a dull tournament. So mm. this, uh, giving people who've just bought the starter set the scope to compete yeah. as much as anyone else is a really nice move. Yes, absolutely. And, and But even then, you say that, but we just played two very different games mm. using only the default decks. Yeah, there's a lot of variables to it. So... You've got your warband and your warband is consistent. You've always got the same number of characters and always the same. Yeah, that's sort of super interesting to me. Yeah, like we should we should begin it. Like it's, it's really weird to figure out where we should. Like I was thinking, do we start with the law? Like do we start? But let's go with I guess the game because that's yeah right. Um, yeah, so go on. Like your your warband is always the same group of characters. Yeah, which is interesting because if I was going to sort of try and second guess Games Workshop, I would imagine that they would want you to be buying models, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you buy your warband and you just get the models and that's that's the dude you have and they've mm. got cards and um those cards have different states so you flip them over to when they become inspired and it changes their stats but it's all in place your warband is just the most static part of the entire package yeah it? and that's interesting i can't think of another um like i can't think of another miniatures war game where what models you bring with you is not at least in some way player determined, mm. right? It's not like Stormcast is a faction and then you pick which Stormcast characters you want. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get to this when we talk about the other factions, but, and so there will probably be two Stormcast warbands eventually, but those are each specific warbands. You can't mix and match characters between them, right? Yeah. You know, your Stormcast are Severin Steelheart, Angarad, Brightshield, and Obrin, the, the hammer man. <laughs> man with big hammer. Uh, yeah. And it's always, that's always going to be the case for that warband. And, if you want to buy a different warband, you get that as a package. And that's, that means that you're not doing like list building per se, and you're not mm. dealing with like points or that sort of balance. You're, it feels far more like self-determining to me to build a deck that then dictates what you can do with those characters. Yeah. So you have your, yes, so you're right. You have your warband mm. and that comes, and then there is a card for each character that has their stats on it and some yeah. special rules and that kind of thing. I can't go into every single nuance of it. Mm. And then every card is double-sided, and on the back of the card is its gold half, mm. where um, that's when the character is inspired. And every character in the game has a different condition that uh, causes them to become inspired. And inspired is basically better. It unlocks sometimes different abilities, sometimes just better stats. It's, it's different from character to character. Even in the starter set, though, there's, there's some um, indication of the kind of room for interesting design that, that creates so um each of my bloodbound inevitably we should point out you're playing the stormcast oh yes and i've been playing chaos um <laughs> i don't think we even had the discussion it was just <laughs> it's like yeah <laughs> just assembling the gribbly red men yeah um oh, we should talk about assembly as well anyway um so um the uh and it's inspiration itself is an interesting mechanic so uh my bloodbound go from being they're not great there's lots of them um, but they, uh, all become inspired at the same time because they all have the same, uh, inspiration trigger basically, which is when, uh, three characters are out of action, i.e. dead, um, the bloodborne, bloodbound are, are inspired. Hmm. The bloodborne are inspired, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a very different thing. Um, and what that means is, so this is sort of like shades by tactics 101 because my characters are weaker 
ideally, I want to trade my two weakest characters at the start of the game for one good Stormcast, because all the Stormcast are good. Yeah. And what that means is then three people are dead, and then all my good Bloodbound become inspired. Um, a bad result for me strategically early in the game is uh you kill three of my good guys right. and my no one non on your side is dead and my two remaining chumps are both then feeling pretty good <laughs> and that's very corn right like the notion that um that you know the the whole all of a lot of the corn objectives are themed around the idea that corn doesn't care from whence the blood flows that as long as stuff people are dying on the battlefield corn is happy mm. But strategically, there are ways you can try and massage exactly the way in which the blood flows <laughs> uh, to your advantage. And that is one mechanic. That is a single mechanic. Uh, like, explain how the Stormcast So work. it's very different from the Stormcast. So the Bloodborne, as you described, they inspire one kind of heroic moment where... They you know, all become mental. They, they all become mental. They all go faster and they're all better. Um, for the Stormcast, they're much more individualistic in that they get inspired if they save an attack if they take it on the shield so if, if you successfully roll a defensive roll basically and you, mm. you, you deflect an attack that particular stormcast becomes inspired uh, basically they're filled with sigmar's vengeance and then suddenly they're much better at you know striking back and then they'll have more capacity mm. to damage that sort of thing um but that means that for chris there's an interesting decision to make about attacking any stormcast because if you, if you just attack a stormcast with a chump and you don't go do any damage there's a chance that you'll do nothing but anger them <laughs> yeah exactly uh, and is it, do you want to anger all of them no you want to preferably gang up on them and hit them individually take one down before the others uh, without inspiring the others at all yeah uh, and that's a very interesting already a very interesting kind of yeah. uh, way to play the game and for you i guess you want to encourage a situation where people are forced to split damage between your characters because mm. you want to be taking a lot of smaller shitter attacks on everybody yeah rather than one massive combo on one person and stormcast do very well when they make the shield wall as well so they're mm. interesting kind of character upgrades upgrades is a thing that you can apply we'll talk about the card phase that's really interesting um but you can apply upgrades like in the middle of a phase in the middle of the battle like you can give someone the ability to create a shield wall where she'll inspire people adjacent to her to become on guard which you know essentially means that mm. they're very hard to kill very hard to hurt um so you you get this mentality with the stormcast where they want to kind of lock shields lock up get close together and force the enemy to attack multiple stormcast the same time to deal with them as a unit um, but it's also a very mobile game uh, with very interesting kind of uh terrain aspects to it as well you know, yeah yeah into. so we've explained ins inspiration this is one mechanic yes so you also the the place where your um your kind of creativity is expressed and although as we say we've been playing with the default decks is through deck construction so every player has two decks of cards uh, you have a deck of objectives and a deck of what are called power cards and you have a deck of 12 objectives and a deck of 20 power cards. And in neither game did we fully draw either of them, no. although there are uh, ways in which that could happen, I suppose. Um, and the game is very quick as well. Um, you play three rounds, each with uh, four activations per player. So you do 12 things, really, hmm. with the exception of sort of reactions and some sort of like free, free actions and that kind of thing that can happen. Um, and... Uh, our first game where we didn't understand the rules or we were learning as we went um, took close to an hour, like 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Our second game where we did understand the rules and we both had a plan was 20 minutes, yeah. which I think is much closer to the average mm. for the game, which was really interesting, wasn't it? It was, like, it was really pacey. And you can see the moments where we both have to slow down and start thinking about things. And yeah. this is one of the things that I was most excited about was that it, it's a game about dice. It's a game about drawing cards, 
but it always it never felt dicey to me. It never felt like the variance didn't seem mad. Yeah, it always seems like you've always got a lot of control over the, the odds in any given encounter. Which is something that, and um, I'll probably talk about this on the min- a miniatures monthly proper. But it's something that I used to love about X Wing, hmm. um, and it's probably the thing that um, shades by a default shades by captures the most. And I, I want to kind of unpick some of those mechanics and why that's the case. Hmm. But um, it doesn't feel very dice swingy. And there's a lot you can do strategically in terms of understandable face-up card-based transparent mechanics mm. to uh, to give yourself better chances of succeeding when you want to do that. And we got to a position, I think, in our second game. We're not going to do blow, blow, blows for the game because, again, it's so quick. It's, mm. you know, it's not worth doing that. But we got to a point in the second game where we are both appreciating the cleverness of each other's positioning decisions mm. rather than simply, oh, that was a good dice roll. Yeah. So um, we should probably explain dice. So unlike... Um, Warhammer, it doesn't use D6 traditional dice. It uses D6, but they have special symbols on them, which is very similar to a fantasy flight game. Um, and broadly speaking, you have, you have attack dice and defense dice. And there are, um, so there are, there are two different symbols for attack and two different symbols for defense. The different types of characters use different ones. Broadly speaking though, there's a good attack symbol, which is hammers and a bad attack symbol, which is crossed swords and a good defense symbol, which is shields and a bad defense symbol, which is evades. So if your character relies on evades, you're less likely to get that result. If your character relies on hammers, you're more likely to get that result. Mm. So all of the sig, all of the uh, stormcast characters are looking for hammers on their dice rolls and they're more likely to get them. Most of the corn characters are looking for crossed swords and they're less likely to get them. And that is a way that variance is controlled within the dice roll. Yeah. The dice symbol, the dice also have, uh, two different assist symbols on them, however. One which is sort of half an assist and one which is a full assist. And when you attack somebody, uh, depending on whether or not, depending on how many of your other characters are in an adjacent hex to the person you're attacking, you can count one or both of those assist symbols as successes, right? Like that's kind of as simple as that. Yeah. It's not about forming a line necessarily, it's about adjacency to the target right or when you're defending um the amount of you know it's still the amount of people you've got surrounding somebody so if you're completely surrounded it's hard for you to attack somebody because they on their defensive role are still going to get assists from everybody else yeah and that's you know it's one of the reasons the stormcast wall is so effective hmm. but because the bloodborne have bloodbound sorry i'm going to keep saying that <laughs> have numbers it also means that those crappy bloodborne blood bound oh, god damn it <laughs> those crappy bloodbound characters the uh the re- you know the, the crappy reavers the chumps as we've been calling the them are also useful for granting that bonus to other people. But that by itself means that your dice odds are very much based on positioning decisions that you've made mm. and things you've set up. And those choices go all the way back to the beginning of the game, right? Like, so, you're, you know, if you... um uh, and that ties into lots of other cool mechanics. Like, if you perform a successful attack action against somebody, you can push them a square, which reminds me a bit of Blood Bowl. Mm. And if you push them... So, um, you can, uh, maybe it's best to use examples. If you push someone, you can push them away from their allies so that they no longer get an you know, offensive bonus. So maybe that's a good use, but that has to hit, right? Uh, but there's this game of sort of hex based positioning in order to try and maximize your own dice benefits and minimize your opponent's dice hmm. benefits. And that's, that would be pretty uh, interesting strategically without the card layer which we should get to. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of in, there's a lot of systems going on. Yeah. Um the ability to push each other around is really really important because you only have you've got a limited number of actions available to you. Whenever you you've got four activations per turn 
and each activation you get to select one of your characters and do something with them yeah you can move them and you can move them into range of combat but they can't attack so the move in and of itself is is, is, is the, the activation action, yeah is the activation um but if you charge you can move and strike but they don't get to move or attack for the rest of the turn. That's their last mm. involvement in the phase. Um, and that the intention between those two things is really interesting because if you make a move action into an enemy and then that ends your activation, then your enemy can attack back and knock you away, at which point you've already moved. So you can't, you're, you're out of combat then. You're kind of like you've been pushed back into no man's land, you know. So you, this is the sort yeah. of thing you have to really think about, like what, where is your opponent going to move you once you've been into position? Um, and the charge at least gets you that guaranteed attack uh, and get, is a really effective way of repositioning if you're already in combat. If you're in, in base to base, you can use the charge to, you know, go and attack from a different angle, which is, which is interesting. Um, so the, the, the kind of, also you can use the push moves to move people off objectives, which is very important. So you stand on objectives. Uh, and if you're, if you remain standing on an objective at the end of the turn, you score it. Uh, and both players. Well, we should get to how that works, but yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but, and also the players have a say in where the objectives go at the start of the game during the setup phase. Yeah. Uh, so it's very, very much a game about positioning. And it's a game about r- movement ranges and being within a certain number of hexes and always making, always understanding kind of where your dudes could end up in a turn's time, you know, a couple of activations. Yeah. And there's interesting considerations. Like, so with your Stormcast, where you have three quite elite characters yeah. that are very good. Um, you have, you know, you plan around the fact that you have three characters and four activations. Mm. So one of them is not want to go, not going to want to do the thing like a charge that shuts them down for the rest of the phase. Mm. You really want someone who can just stand and fight. Like if, if someone has stood in combat for the entire thing, you can activate that character four times and just attack right. four times as long yep. as they survive. Um, however, with the, the bloodbound, and I imagine with like, uh, with five characters or with the, the death army that's coming that has seven. Yeah. Um, you still only have four activations. For so sure. the Bloodbound can only ever activate four of their characters a turn. Mm. One guy has got to not do something. And some, you know, so sometimes you're just going to activate your elite guys over and over again. Sometimes you're going to be trying to get everybody forwards and you've got to leave someone behind. And so the, that, uh, that distinction becomes really interesting. So even though you're not, uh, choosing which specific people you're taking, there's a lot of character just in how the warbands work. But now that I've played it, I can see what they're going for with some of the other warbands as well. Mm. Like the fact that the, the Oruk, the Orc warband that's coming has four characters is interesting because that's potential, that's like quite efficient. They all, basically, they can all charge every turn. Yeah. Which is very Orc, but <laughs> yeah. also it's designed that way, right? Like, you know, there's no guy at the back shouting orders, but not moving himself. There's, mm. you know, I can, I can already, it's tickling the, like, oh, that's clever kind of part of my brain mm. already just with that. I could already see, um, the sepulchral guard who are the upcoming death faction, uh, you, you're right in that you only get four activations and so you only get four of them, but the, you can hide movement, movement abilities in the power cards that you play after each activation. Yeah. And I have a feeling that that's how they will work where, you know, that you'll do an action and after every activation, once you've activated someone, you then have like a, a card phase where, um, each person takes it in, in, in turn to play any relevant power cards they want to play. Yeah, from their hand, we should stress. So you have a deck of 20 and you have a hand of five at any given time. The game is designed to be quick, right? You have four hands, basically, in the total deck. But Mm. um, yes, so you're holding a hand of power cards, which are divided between upgrades, Mm. um, which you need to spend victory points, which maybe we don't need to explain too much about, but like Mm. you have to earn points in order to spend points to upgrade your characters in the middle of battle. And only every character can only ever have one upgrade, so you have to pick it carefully Mm. based on what's in your hand. Yep. Uh, You also have ploys, which are either played at the phase that you're about to explain, which I'll let you explain, <laughs> but also, or can be like reactions. Like you've done a thing, I'll do a thing. Yeah. And this is where a lot of the 
interesting rule breaking happens. Yes. A lot of the kind of the quirkiest stuff. So one of these power cards, for example, uh, can just swap two fighters around if they're adjacent. And it could be my, one of my fighters, one of your fighters, Chris, yeah. or it could be two of your fighters, whatever you want to do. Uh, and at this point, you're kind of, uh, and occasionally there are some, the one that I used really usefully to just move an enemy one hex. And that ability, like, it could be, it can be crucial. If you want to push someone off an objective, you want to push someone into combat with you or out of combat with someone important, that one ability to, you know, just to yeah. slightly misalign the enemy is actually really vital. Or for example, in, in the second game we played, where I was looking to kill your general for various reasons that we should get to when we talk about objective decks. Mm. Um, but I, so I charged him with a chump who I didn't expect to survive your side, mm. but I knew that because there's a card phase between every activation for both players, so there's a lot of card phases. Yeah. Um, I could charge him, uh, do my attack, inevitably do no damage because he's only a chump, and then play Confusion to swap him. Yes. To swap my guy with your guy, which means that we had this weird, because you, you know, in that situation, you had a, storm, a classic kind of Stormcast shield wall, and my shitty corn man runs up to him, stabs him, does no damage, but then swaps places with him. Mm. So then my corn guy is in the shield wall. Which he won't survive, <laughs> but your general is then right? exposed, right? right? Like yeah, he's yeah. then not adjacent to any allies. Mm. Um, well, uh, you know, in terms of the rest of my warband. Mm. So that, you know, that's an example of how that card can take what would be a dumb thing to do <laughs> and turn it into a situational use of that character. That character's job is then just to grab that, that guy, spin him out of formation and then get flattened. Yeah. So the, you see those really interesting movement powers in those, in those power cards. You also see, um, very interesting public effects that will last a, uh, an activation. And so you, you put down an effect like, uh, that both players can see and it'll be like, oh, this character will have plus one to his damage rolls for the next phase. Or, mm. uh, in the corn, uh, the corn, good corn one is like, it's raining blood now. So hallelujah. <laughs> everybody's going to be, uh, so the stormcasts that are normally looking for hammers on those attack rolls, um, the next combat activation, they're going to be looking for those crossed swords, which is less likely. Yeah. So, um, you can you basically half the odds of an average stormcast making a hit for yeah. a turn yeah. by making it rain blood for one turn. And you have to, again, that's a very careful decision. You have to think about what your opponent's going to do and etc. Absolutely. And there's a really good one where, where uh, the corn player can play it and it means that the next amount, whatever damage is done in the next activation by it. So my general could charge in and do three damage with his great sword. That's always been my, which is one. enough to kill all but one <laughs> of the corn characters in one hit. That's right. Uh, but you, you put that card down during one of those phases and you say, okay, uh, in the next turn, uh, whoever does that damage is, is actually damage one. It doesn't yeah. matter. It means that the next image, so yeah, the specific wording is the next instance of damage dealt to one of your characters yeah. is one point, regardless mm. of what the damage value would be so which is very powerful which is really really good really good and then as soon as that goes down it's kind of uh up, face up on the board that changes or like loads of my decisions like i yeah. think rethink what i'm gonna do you know that happens constantly with these card faces i really love that about it because it means that um y- there are so those sorts of things are kind of like gotcha moments like when we very first played it because one of the experiences playing it for the first time is you and i don't know what's in those decks we don't know what you can really do mm. i have ideas about what stormcast is going to do but you know we're still learning so when you start learning you know ne- you inevitably are surprised by some of the effects that come out but the important thing is it's not like you do the damage and then i reveal the card that negates the damage yeah surprise it's, it's before you do it i say the next instance of damage you do is only one damage mm. and then you sit and consider what your actual move is yeah. going to be so maybe you just do a move that you were going to do that you're going to do anyway yeah. but you just choose to skip your attack that turn and do something else and 
you know, and then, then it's a much more interesting, much less negative feeling interaction because, mm. um, you've, you know, I haven't wasted my card because I've forced you to do something other than what you ideally wanted to do. But you also haven't been completely denied, right? You, you've just been given something to think about, mm. which is far preferable, I think, for any strategy game. And even in just the two games we played, like there were, there were lots of thinking pauses, which is a, always a good sign. It's like you think about how it's all going to play out. And, um, you're, you're not, I was never concerned with gambling so much as like, I mean, obviously you know, things I'd ideally like to happen. I charged my general into a couple of your mm. guys and did a mighty swing and hoped to take one of them out and almost did, but didn't. And, but you know, I knew the risks there. Like it, the, the risks in the game become apparent very fast. I think because you're playing with such so many yeah. few characters, and you know what they can and can't do very quickly. And also, you know, you took that risk with your general in a game where I killed him, hmm. but you also didn't know that I was holding an objective card that was telling me kill him. <laughs> right. So you wouldn't. You definitely would have made that taken that risk if you'd known that my objective was to kill your general. Hmm. But it didn't end the game that you didn't have that. But like. That's an interesting play. We should talk about objective cards separately, I suppose. But yeah. um, that side of it is really interesting. The other thing that's really important is that damage values are flat. Mm. So when you attack, you roll a certain number of attack dice and a certain number of defense dice. And what determines whether or not the attack is successful is whoever gets more successes. And everyone, you're looking for different symbols. It's very, we're talking about a lot of rules and maybe we may, we're at risk of making it sound complicated, but it really isn't mm. actually. Like it's very quick. It is. You know, it's very self-explanatory when it's in front of you. Um Whoever gets more successes is successful. If the defender is successful, they take no damage. If they uh, are unsuccessful in defending, they take the amount of damage printed on the attack profile. Mm. Um, there are situations, so, so certain inspired characters can start to benefit from like the critical hit symbol on the dice. Uh, but even though that symbol is there, um, it doesn't do anything other than provide an extra attack, or sorry, an, an extra success, mm. unless uh, the specific character or upgrade happens to upgrade it in some way and so there's no there's none of that like uh thing that can happen in both traditional warhammer but also in x-wing where the amount of damage you do is to some extent left up to a dice roll right where sometimes like you like so when you're staring at a situation in shadespire the thing one thing i really like about it particularly from a feel point of view is you know if you can be killed or not right from a particular position That's definitely correct yeah right so you know um None of all of the Stormcast characters have four health and only uh most of the so two of the corn characters do one damage, two of them do two damage, and one of them does three damage. So no corn character by themselves, without an upgrade or without an inspired state, can ever one shot a Stormcast. Right. It just cannot mathematically it cannot happen. Mm. However, there are, for example, a combination of cards. So if you have the three the guy who does three damage and a guy who does one damage standing next to a Stormcast, and the Stormcast uses their activation to kill the chump, then maybe you can reveal the card that causes the Stormcast to take one damage. Mm. Because sometimes if the, the, because the Bloodbound have a card that means that if one of your guys dies, but you have another character who's engaged with the person who kills them, you can just deal one damage to that character because it's like, while they're busy chopping to pieces one of your dudes, the other one gets a blow in. And then that Stormcast has taken one automatic damage, at which point they are in one-shot range mm. of the guy with the big axe. But that, again, A, requires that attack to hit, and also that the sequence of play in which that occurs means that there's a uh, there's time to see that coming as the Stormcast, mm. right? Like, 
it's not a I roll my damage dice and oh shit, I've just got a D6 mortal wounds, like that guy's dead. Yeah. Right? Or I have to you know, roll the six or something, and that's it's it is I think I, I I've been thinking a lot lately about the way games avoid that negative feeling of like I've just been surprised by something I couldn't control. Mm. And I think Shades Bar has a lot of things in it that mean that you're thinking about the actual maths of the game. Yeah. And not you know, sometimes you can be surprised, but it's not in those two games we've played, we've not had that kind of moment of like, oh, I guess I'm dead. Like, whenever, like, I lost a guy, you lost a guy, we both knew that was a yeah, very definitely. evident possibility. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and that, um, the guy who does three damage to Stormcast, like, he, he's a dude with an enormous axe. He's the only one on the Bloodbound uh, squad that has that. And it's very obvious where he is at any given point. So, you know, well, he, if he was in contact with my general... I'd better be sure that that's what I want to be happening at that point with the right of grace to make sure he's not going to cleave my guy in half, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that, that's what it always felt like to me. Like if I lost someone, I was always responsible <laughs> partly in some way. Like even if you played really well and, you know, set up a, a good screen with your chumps that stopped me from getting in, uh, you know, it, it felt more like I was playing you rather than the dice. You know what I mean? Yeah. The dice are there for a reason and sometimes stuff just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and I think the dice are important because they allow you, because you should be trying to set up the odds in your favor mm. with that, with the movement system, which is exactly like, that's one of the things that's um, core to the X-Wing rules as well is that yeah. like, you know, dice are average if you, you know, but if you really work at getting, well, it used to be this way. If you really work at getting an advantageous situation, that's when you get to punch the damage through and that's when it's really gratifying. Mm. The other thing that I really like about Shadespire's core rules just in terms of combat is that, and I haven't seen another game do this quite as well. It should be kind of implicit by that. I really like these core rules. Um, is that characters tend to get more dangerous as the game goes on. Mm. Like health is a thing and they can be one hit from, from dead, but a character that clings on to life and maybe gets an upgrade and maybe gets into their inspired state is actually really dangerous mm. towards the end game. So you don't end up with like, the traditional thing where your armies are very powerful at the beginning of the game and crash against each other. And then you, you try and wrestle a victory out with the bloodied remnants of what survives, which is its own drama. I think that works in a big game of Warhammer. I think yeah. it's fine. What you get is like a big clash that resolves into a much dicier game of strategy between bloodied, but much more lethal people. Hmm. I think that's been the case in both of the games we played. Yeah, definitely. So, for example, one of the upgrades I was able to put on my on Severin Steelheart, uh, the leader of the Stormcast Eternals, uh, in this game, uh, he, uh, he got like a lightning sword, where his sword became wreathed in lightning, which gave him like a ranged attack. And that sort of changed the final round of the game massively in terms of what both of us were trying to yeah. get done. Um, because like, I know, Chris, you, you are keen to make sure you're outside of that range, because that, that lightning sword, that ranged attack can one shot a crappy bloodborne uh, <laughs> yeah i really can bloodbound soldier <laughs> a crappy bloodborne <laughs> they're, they're the corn bloodborne now we can't the get around the blood, yeah sorry about this um but yeah and just that one upgrade even though he was wounded upgrading characters is super important in that game and it's uh, there are some of the upgrades that the stormcast have that i still don't quite understand why they're good yet mm. but the ones that i've used definitely changed their capabilities and suddenly turned them into something else on the battlefield which is which is a really cool a cool little mini arc for a 20 minute three phase game to have you know that, that your three characters can suddenly start doing different things and you know 
attacking the field in a different way by the end of the game that they would at the start. Yeah. It's really, really cool for a, a short board game. Like some of the upgrades are generic, we should stress. So some of them are just like plus one wound, plus one damage, that yes, kind of thing. And stuff. some of them are character specific. And that is interesting because obviously it means that you can draw an upgrade for a character who is dead, mm. which has happened to me in every game, both the games we played, where you just, you want to want to discard that during the end phase and pull something else. However, like all of the blood, blood bound chumps have really good individual upgrades ah. so if you get to the point where you've got one chump left but they're inspired because if you know inevitably if the rest of your army is dead even if you haven't killed anything else they will be inspired because yeah. that's the condition for them also if you've managed to draw and apply their um important their, their character specific upgrade and to stress a character can only ever have one upgrade hmm. so you you've have to you, you will have had to not given them something else then they do become quite dangerous so you can then maybe try and eke a victory back although we haven't really been in that situation but like it's it's there in the rules yeah, for definitely. that to happen yeah um to finish up talking about the rules though we should well there's two there's two things we haven't talked about yet they're both really important one is the boards themselves hmm. so you uh, basically you roll off at the beginning of the game and then you pick a board which is this big folding hex board and based on the, whoever wins the roll off you take it in turns to place a board and you um so as the bloodbound i was, was trying to create big open fields where i could set up flanking attacks so i would pick one that had no obstacles on it just a complete open board of hexes and place it sort of uh long ways um so that it's you know you're gonna be encouraged to attach it to the widest edge but you know it doesn't have to work that way hmm. Um, then the other player, whoever wins the roll-off, takes their board and attaches it to the other board in any way they like, as long as three complete hexes are formed between the two where the boards meet. And what that means is that even though it's just two boards attached to each other to form the battlefield, there are actually like quite a lot of different ways they can be connected. Yeah. In our first game, we had a completely open field, complete a square, basically. Mm. In the second, we had a corridor. Well, so we had two arenas linked by a narrow passage. Yeah, with some a little bit of terrain. So there are like impassable uh, hexes on some of them. And that formed a, a kind of more of a choke point. In the yeah. Second game. And so that itself is an interesting set mm. of decisions. And that affected things in both games that, you know, uh, that is, a well, it's, it's not so much that we're really thinking about it hugely at the moment, but it's mm. like, that's an element of the skill ceiling that is there. Yeah. Secondly, um, you have a pile of objective tokens that are hex shaped themselves. And players take it in turns to place them blind, so face down, um, on the board. And then you flip them over and each of them has a number. And the number just indicates which objective it is. And then this interacts with your objective deck. Because one of the game's sort of basic objective card is something like capture objective two. And if you happen to draw that card and objective two happens to be in your territory, it's easy. If it happens to be in the enemy territory, it's hard. It just creates a kind of flexible, uh, a condition from which to get one victory point that you might spend on an upgrade or something like that. Yeah. Um, but those are the most, but then there are also, you, you have a deck of 12 of these and you have three at a time and they can be everything from capture the specific territory to big game ending things like score this. If the entire opposing warband is dead through to much more kind of specific things. And each of you is holding three of these at any given time. You don't know what your opponent is holding. And this encourages you to set up interesting scenarios. Like maybe I'm holding the one that means that I can score this at the very end of the game if all of my surviving characters are in your territory, hmm. which is interesting because then I have to have someone survive and they have to be in your territory. And I can be trying to set that up while you're trying to set up something completely different. Hmm. And it feels like the construction of the, you know, your cho the choices you make for your objective deck are easily as important as the choices you make for your power deck because the two have to work together. Yeah. 
um, you know, in those optional cards we were talking about, there are, there are, there's room to create both aggressive and defensive versions of a Stormcast deck. Yeah. And similar for blood, there's no defensive bloodbound kind of style, <laughs> but there are different takes on it. But it's interesting, like, and they're quite characterful as well. Like Stormcast get benefits for like holding the line and that kind of thing. Yeah. Bloodbound have a lot of things that are like, um, uh, you know, corn really doesn't care. Like a certain amount of people have to have died, but it doesn't matter who, <laughs> like yeah, that kind sure. of thing. There's one crazy corn one, which is that if at the end of the game, only one bloodbound is left, it doesn't matter who they are. Mm. They get six victory points, <laughs> which is insane. Yeah. Like that's a huge swing. Absolutely. And it can only be scored at the end of the game. And the idea is that guy just becomes corn's champion because mm. he's the one that survived the melee. But it means that if you're playing against a corn list or a corn deck, you know, that's a possibility. Sure. So you have to either beat them by more than six points, kill all of them or kill all but two of them. But whatever you don't do, don't leave one chump alive because yeah, yeah. that might be what they're gunning for. If the, if the corn player's holding one guy back as though they're going to be capping objectives, you know, in their territory, but actually they just want them out of the combat, you've got to be looking out for that if you, if yeah. you know that that's in their deck, right? That's super exciting. Mm. Like the, 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 the room for a, uh, like a sort of um, strategic layer of understanding what different different decks might be trying to get out of the game but not necessarily knowing mm-hmm. having to intuit uh intent from someone's playstyle is really interesting and that yeah. gets players to interact with each other and that's really mm. cool as well i think the one of the reasons why it works and doesn't feel super swingy or kind of um hard to hard to pass is that most of the objectives are actually only flow one or two which mm. isn't an insurmountable game swing necessarily you can win by with both both of our We've each won one. We've each won one. Which is immediately set aside from Age of Sigmar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, for example, an objective capture is good. It's one point. And you get a point by just killing a guy. You get one point in loads of ways. But they've done a good job of limiting the big swingy ones, just like a couple. That So I can memorize a couple for each faction, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So uh, part of me wants to kind of treasure this moment in Chase Buyer's life when it's in the early stages before as these games inevitably become so incredibly complicated and require a huge before the power knowledge. creep and the jank arrives yeah, yeah i completely agree so where it's in this kind of pure well-tested state and you know uh some factions that already already been tested hopefully will, are going to be coming in i can memorize two one or two mega objectives for mm. each of those things that i have to look out for um which is good because if it if there are loads of those things in there like you you would start to run into that bad play experience of like you, you playing some orcs and they do a crazy objective market that you just didn't know about that, you know, swung the yeah, game yeah. even though you played At the well. moment it feels like as long as you take the time to kind of go through the cards and there aren't huge numbers of them because again, you're talking about a deck of 12 and a deck of 20. Yeah. It's not a million cards. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them fit into types, right? Mm. Like there are objectives for having all of your dudes in your enemy territory. There are, there are objectives to having all your dudes in your own territory. Mm. And you can probably feel out once you know that exists as a principle you can feel out what your opponent wants, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. well, well, he seems to be hanging back. Maybe he's holding that objective. You know, mm-hmm. like that's the, that's the thing. Um, but like, yeah, you're right. That like the fact that you know what the nuts corn turning to defeat into like. victory yeah. thing looks like. For sure, you you have that feeling that like, oh, you know. I'm, I'm definitely winning and there are two bloodbound left. Mm. Maybe you just leave them. I should have actually, can't... because yeah. I, I did leave you with one in the, in our second game. But we knew, you knew I wasn't playing with that card yeah, because it was in the optional set, but like nonetheless, right? Yeah, that's true. Hmm. But you know, that's a, yeah, you're right. That feels fair at the moment. Like, I think you're also right to bring up that this does feel like the, uh, um, and it sort of goes to that saying that like, we basically said nothing but good things about Shadespire. And actually, to be honest, I don't think I have any bad things to say about it yet. Hmm. 
but that's because this is a very generous and confident release. And that was an amazing attempt at quietly opening Sorry, a beer, but it's no way of doing it. Pass me a beer. <laughs> of course. It's no way of doing it quietly. Um, um but yeah. this is like, you know, and I hope the game will only go from, I, I feel like any game like this, it should take a while before problems emerge. Ideally they won't. Mm. Um, maybe that's an interesting thing to, to talk about because, um, some things that really interested me about Shades Buy from a design point of view is that, so they've released this core set, and as we've said, it comes with two full armies or two full, you know, sides and optional cards for both of those sides. So you can do a pretty substantial bit of your own kind of deck wrangling. Mm-hmm. Um, they are imminently about to release the Death Rattle, um, the Sepulchral Guard, who are the, the Death Faction, who are a skeleton in a very, very good cape mm-hmm. and a lot of rubbish skeletons. And they love have that cape. They have a lot of, you know, ability to bring things back. They're also about to release the Auric Warband, the Iron Jaws, the kind of big chunky orcs that go and beat people up. Um, and each of those expansion sets will come with all of the models for that faction, obviously, all of the cards specific to that faction. And I think a set of cards that are generic, although I don't know how much overlap there is between the generic cards in those sets and what's in the core set. Yeah. Like, for example, one of the, one of the generic upgrades in the core set is like plus one damage. And the picture on that card is an orc. So hmm. I assume that there's some, like, they'll definitely come with, um, well, they should come with, uh, the objective cards for that faction as well. Like, yeah. And I guess what I'm saying is I don't know how much, you know, I don't know if you'll be in the situation where it's like, oh man, there's an upgrade card in the, in the Iron Jaws set mm. that is perfect for my Bloodbound. Which is the X-Wing thing, right? Yes. Which is the X-Wing thing where you're buying the expansion for one card. Until those expansions are out, I don't know if that's the kind of game this is going to be. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like it at the moment, but so this is almost, this is almost like the glass half empty side of it. It's like trying to figure out what is the, what is the vector by which that kind of jank enters the game? Yeah. Right. Particularly because as you've said, there's no list building element in terms of the models. It's not like they are going to bring out a new Stormcast warband, which we talk through what the other warbands are going to be. But it's not going to be like, oh, you know, oh, the, the Liberator Warband was perfect until they gave you the ability to swap out Severin for terrible, Ni- terrible, yeah, exactly. Terrible Nigel, I was going to say. Oh, terrible Nigel. Overpowered Nigel, right? Like no one wanted him. Uh, OP Nigel. Um, that's, you know what I mean? Because these, mm. these, each of these, uh, little factions are like a designed set of characters mm. intended to work together with different decks surrounding them. That for me limits at least one of the ways things can become broken, which is when you just release a new character that just slots in. So, you know, like, and that's really interesting to me because designing the game in this way limits Games Workshop's ability to sell new stuff, hmm. right? Like, if you love Stormcast, um, and you have, oh, maybe more specifically, if you love, cause there is going to be another Stormcast Warband, but if you love, uh, skeletons and more power to you and you don't want to, you don't want to play anything else and you have the score, the core set and the skeleton set. I don't see why you would need anything else. Yeah. Really? Hmm. Like maybe there's an, maybe there's a card in another set that pushes your efficiency by a few percent, but if you don't draw it and you don't make use of it, then it's not going to be that big a deal breaker. Right. So my question is almost like, how are they going to upsell you <laughs> something else? You know, yeah, and maybe is, they don't feel like they need to. It's a really good question because these are supposed to be like living the living card game thing right mm. this idea that they just go on and on and on and you know they might occasionally need a re- reset but then they they are designed to go on and on and on but i mean maybe shades bar isn't that 
maybe they'll just get add more and more warbands and that's eventually it will become bloated but after a much longer period than if you do these kind of entwining kind yeah of it's so it's this is exciting to me mm. because i think you know because i think there's a there's a trade-off in this in this kind of game design obviously if you're talking about a, a, a collectible card game where you're relying on booster packs with random contents that is the least player friendly maximally game maker publisher friendly model right mm where players are spending a lot to get things they might not be certain that they want. Um, the limited card game model, the, uh, like the, the fantasy flight kind of pioneered with things like Netrunner, um, is pretty player friendly or X-Wing as well, because as long as you buy the upgrades, buy the new packs as they come out, uh, you'll have everything that exists in the game. And maybe sometimes you've got to buy multiples or something to kind of get an optimal competitive deck, but, uh, it's transparent what you're going to buy. Right. You get what you, you know says. what you're going to get. Yeah. yeah. You're going to, you're going to get. Um, this is actually closer to a board game mm. where all the parts are included than even an LCG would be. Right. I think a lot depends on what's in those other packs. Like if there's an upgrade card in the orc pack, which is just amazing for bloodbound, but a bit shit for orcs, then they have entered the LCG territory. Yeah. At the moment though, I can't really, now that I've looked through the cards and I have a sense of what they include, I really can't see that happening without it being kind of obvious and egregious that that's what they're doing. Hmm. So I'm not going to close. I'm not going to basically, I'm not going to commit to saying, Oh wow, this approach is perfect yet, but it seems far more consumer friendly than you'd think, than you'd expect even Hmm. because it means that, you know, you don't, you're not at the moment being asked to buy anything other than the core set and the faction you want. And if the faction that you want is in the core set, you're probably good Hmm. for now. That's really interesting because, like I say, I've played plenty of fantasy flight games that have this model-ish, and they don't—they're not quite that mm. generous with kind of just giving players enough to play competitively straight off the the bat. So that's really that's really exciting to me. I think. Yeah, I think that it seems clear from what they've said so far that the first wave of releases, at least, are going to be self-contained new warbands. Mm. There's no sign of like swapping. This is something they could do. They could say. Here's a, a, Sarah, a Severin swap for the leader of your Stormcast. Here's a new type of hero. Yeah. They could, they eventually, they could do that. But at the moment, from what they've teased in on both one community site and in the Shades by Rulebook, uh, they've basically just outlined factions mm. that are coming up, and we expect those to be self-contained boxes. Yeah. So one thing that's in the game rules is that when you can pick a, a terrain tile from any tile in your collection, and pointedly... Um, the only terrain tiles that exist at the moment are the ones that are in the core set. Mm. Like these individual new boxes don't come with, like, it's not like a, uh, skeleton specific terrain zone that no. you can get with skeletons, right? Um, so that suggests to me that they will eventually release bigger packs. Um, and that could be something like a rotating core set. Like every year mm. or so, there's a new core set that has new boards in it yeah. and new factions. But again, and I, you know, I, 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 you know, I fully anticipate the conversation two years from now where we're talking about, oh man, wasn't this wave of expansions great, but this wave kind of, hmm. you know, blew a little bit. I, I can totally see that happen. Like that's possible with any game like this. But this is a very strong start for me. This is a very strong trust building start, hmm. which is what it's intended to do. And God knows any company can squander that trust. But this is a very confident, like, uh, I think, you know, player, you know, player minded way of beginning the game where you're not being upsold minute one, which a lot of other games don't get to, right? Yeah. Like you can buy this and know that you've got everything you need to play straight away without being, you know, 
we should talk about the models actually, but you basically probably just need the corset and a pair of clippers if you don't have the Camaro yeah. clippers and you're, you're done. They are def, they, they say push fit. They really are like, they, yeah, they, we should talk about this. Like, yeah. you know, we, we went and bought the Burning Prosperous set in October last year, almost a year ago. <laughs> yes. And, um, three months later we'd finished painting it. We played it right mm. today. You know, we went back to, you know, we came back with, with the corset of Shades Buyer, sat and, sort of split the workload of assembling the models and 10 minutes later had fully assembled the models mm. so this is another thing if if you're not maybe we should have said this at the top of the pod but if you're not a model or a painter it's pretty easy so as long as you have a pair of clippers to take stuff off the sprues and i think that is necessary yeah. because anything else is going to be annoying you could do it with a hobby knife but not ideal not ideal um all of the models are on colored plastic. So the Stormcaster in blue in the corner in red, which means they look like perfectly usable game pieces, uh, even if you don't paint them. Um, and they're also completely push fit, which means that, um, there is no glue required. Um, there are, there are a few fiddly joins, but actually most of them, which are like most of the bloodbound are just like two halves of a man and you plug them into the base and you're done. Yeah. So that's, I think genuinely, and the models are great as well. We should talk about how good the models are. They are fantastic. And part of the draw for me of, you know, being very willing to spend money on expansions is because I think they're going to be like 20 quid, they've said. Right. I That's think, about right. I think. Uh, I, I was going to guess 15 to 20 quid based uh, on the price of the corset. Yeah. And for, I don't know where I've got that from. So, um, pinch of salt there. Um, but if it's like 20 quid for seven Skelly models, that's pretty much on point for GW yeah. stuff, you know, with, with some cards in the pack. Yeah, the corset is 40 quid for obviously the game and eight models. Mm. So 20 quid is not a bad guess for an expansion. I would say 15 to 20 quid yeah. would be where yeah. I think it would end up. Uh, and yes, they're very used to assemble. It's very used to get the whole game going very quickly. And the, the boards are really nice. They fold up. So they're designed to be portable and to fit into like carry cases and stuff like that. It's really, it's, it's obviously designed to be a thing that you put in like a little box and you take it around to your friend's house or you take it off to a tournament and yeah it's like your, extra yeah. Like, yeah it's a it's a it's there moving to that space and i'm excited yeah well you know we've both gone over experience with it like this i guess this has become a kind of review but like i was excited about it and i'm impressed hmm. with it and excited about what comes next for it because you know i don't know if it's it's a very tight well-designed game and that's something that i don't know if gw have always been known for question mark hmm. you know the jank has always been an issue right like and it feels remarkably jank free and i think we're both aware this maybe is a golden age for shades <laughs> right right now yeah but nonetheless very impressed and actually it is really is a kind of perfect entry point and that makes me think so at the bottom of the shades by box after you've gotten through the models and the assembly instructions and everything else there's a little like fold out leaflet and it, it has a picture of shades by the city this glittering kind of glass um, city that's suspended between the realms of light and shadow. Um, and then it says, this is just the beginning. And then you open it. And in the centerfold spread is huge new AOS logo. Apparently they redesigned the AOS logo when no one was looking saying Warhammer Age of Sigma, the war continues or something like that. And a, a, a brilliant photo of like a beautifully painted Stormcast army clashing into a beautifully painted corn <laughs> bloodbound army, which is obviously deliberate, right? That's you've gotten shades by it and it's your way into Warhammer and you like these gold people and these angry men. And now, oh wow, there's a much bigger game you can play with this. And then that's the advert for mm. the AOS starter kit. And my hope is that the benefit from for GW for having a fairer 
pricing model for Shadespire oh, yeah. is that it will turn people into AOS players. Hmm. And that's not to say that AOS is going to steal all your money, although it might. God knows. <laughs> it will happily steal your money. Like We're both in that position of just, you know, like, sure, have it. <laughs> but um I think a lot about how game creators make money from their products and what behaviors that encourages in them. And it's actually a relief to know that Games Workshop have an avenue for making money from Shadespire fans that potentially leaves Shadespire itself alone. Right. Right? Mm. FFG with X-Wing don't have a way of making money for X-Wing players that isn't selling models or, or packs or event tickets to X-Wing players. And all of those things have room to create problems for the game mm. in its structure and, and what the experience is playing. If, if the kind of, if, if all Shadespire is intended to be is a kind of like kind of tight and self-contained gateway drug for AOS, Perfect. Mm. If all it is designed to do is get people into the Games Workshop ecosystem, that's amazing for the potential creative future and the competitive future of that game because it means that they don't have to put out an expansion that everyone feels like they have to buy mm. because the great new upgrade card is in it. It just means that the game can be self-contained. And if it remains competitively healthy and diverse and interesting and fairly priced uh, for its lifespan, then it will probably continue to do the job of turning people into Age of Sigma fans. Mm. Because, you know, you'll get people who wouldn't consider a game like this and they'll appreciate the fact that it's remained balanced for a long time and, and then they'll go and buy a few extra models and then suddenly they're playing hmm. 3,000 point games with AOS. Like, it's almost like there's a safety valve provided by the other game for Shadespire's internal health. Yeah. Which is a really interesting thing. That is interesting, isn't it? Most I mean... I often wonder like what Blood Bowl's model is. And I think the model is Forge World uh, in the sense that a lot of mm. the kind of special characters you can slot into your teams are Forge World models that, you know, expensive, but beautifully crafted and all of that. And that's feels like the premium elements that they must be kind of making money off that. Yeah. Sort of I think that's one of the reasons that GW haven't put so much support behind Blood Bowl. They do support it, but they don't like... It ticks along, right? It ticks along. And that's because Blood Bowl isn't in a position to say, hey, take those models, go play this other game. Whereas they are going to release War Scrolls for Age of Sigma for the, uh, for the Shades by Warband. Yeah. Which is really awesome. Which means that like, oh, you know, and, and again, it's a thing of like, oh, well, I'm sitting on this little unit of Stormcast. These could be amazing unit champion models for my next squad of liberators. Yeah. Like you're inevitably going to use them. Oh so, yeah, right? for like, sure. For sure. Uh, I mean, unless their, their War Scroll as a group is so amazing that they, even if I'm not using them as those heroes, I will use, I'll sub them into my lib units yeah. just to make them look awesome. Yeah. And that's, um, that's really, that's genuinely heartening. Hmm. Like I want to talk on the next episode of, um, of Miniatures Monthly about, about why I think these exact systems can fail for a game because hmm. I feel like they have failed X-Wing and I love that game in principle, but I am at the end of my time with it, I think, because I think through honestly mismanagement. Um, and also because of the ways that a game is encouraged to grow over time simply by the pressures of its business model. Right. And it means a lot as a potential fan of Shades by someone who's tentatively like willing to go, do I want to go to events for this game to feel like I understand the ways that GW can benefit from my investment in it without that leading them in a direction that could ultimately hurt my investment in it. Does that make sense? Yes, it doesn't make sense. Right. Like I don't want to, by spending money on it, I don't want to incentivize them to do things that hurt the game. Hmm. And I don't feel like that's been successfully negotiated with X-Wing. And I feel like there's a better space for that here because if if the purpose of Shadespire is to turn people into mad Age of Sigmar collectors that get everything, then 
I'm like fucking Ozymandias in Watchmen. Like, I already did that. <laughs> I, I'm safe. That's right. You can't hurt me. I've already committed. I did it 12 yeah. months ago. <laughs> exactly. Um, what we should do, and, and maybe to get off the business, the business horse, the dry old business horse, mm. which is not a character <laughs> in Age of Sigma yet, but might be, um, is talk about the fiction side of it. And I guess the war bands that are coming, because both are quite exciting to me. Yes. Agreed. So the fiction side of things, um, Shadespire is in the role of Nagash. It used to be, used to be, used to be, um, a great city, uh, full of, you know, people who were great artists, great masters of technology. And they had invented this stuff called, uh, shade glass. Yes. And it had the capacity to contain and protect souls or soul energy in some way. Uh, and if we know anything about Nagash, that is, he's not happy at all about anyone else messing with the soul economy as he sees it. Yeah. Uh, so here were some, uh, I know, mortals, very advanced mortals coming up with, you know, ways of undermining his entire business. Yeah. Staving off death, basically. Staving off death uh, by, um, storing their consciousnesses and, and their hopes and dreams in this shade glass. Uh, and of course, Nagash, uh, he can throw a real tantrum when, <laughs> when these things happen. He can have a skeleton hissy, <laughs> which is exactly what happened. Yeah. And he destroyed the, the city and has, has brought it low. And where is it? Oh, is it between worlds? It's suspended between the realms of light and shadow, right, which is interesting okay. from a interesting my law perspective. The realms of light and shadow are the two that have been uh, not seen yet. Right? Yeah, it's, this is Hish and Ulgu. Okay, like um, which are the ones that um, no none of the kind of agents of the story so far have entered. So Sigma has sent Stormcast to those realms, but they've not come back. Right, and um, you know, and and what Chaos is doing there is unknown. Mm. There's a lot of theorizing that like when they finally do the big, um. Mm revival of the high elves and dark elves yeah. that that's going to be where they they are yes. but i mean dark elves are kind of still are in it at the moment ish and both are kind of ish at the moment but mm. ish in hish <laughs> um yeah so maybe severin steelhearts like they they are one of those lost roving bands who just found themselves in chase yeah. between these realms and and so chase itself is sort of trapped in this position detached from death and trapped between light and shadow and there's all these references to mirrors and things mm. And, uh, that's one of the reasons that's used to explain why the players assemble the battlefield. Cause you have these strange shifting mm. passageways, mirrored battlefields in some cases, yeah. that kind of thing. Also, death isn't permanent because the entire place is kind of ensconced in this kind of shade glass magic now. Mm. So if, if people die, they just come back. They just come back somewhere else. Like they, you know, they, death is impermanent. All of that stuff is impermanent. So these war bands that are all trapped in Shadespire are constantly fighting each other and dying and yeah. coming back, which is a nice kind of fictional hook to hang the competitive nature of the game off. Right. Like, yeah. And for, uh, it, it's almost like Nagash exiled the place is that he just didn't yeah. want that technology even in, uh, you know, accessible to anyone. Obviously it is to these war bands. Uh, but the interesting connotations for the Stormcast who are endlessly reforged by Sigmar and each time they they come back, they, they come back a bit wrong until they end up, end up mm. being almost like zombies, uh, is that shade glass can potentially protect them from the ravages of reforging. Right. Uh, so the idea is that you could use shade glass to protect elements of your personality and elements of your memories and things like that. Uh, so that the reforging process is, doesn't slowly destroy you <laughs> from the inside yeah. out. But also the flip side to that is that in this particular place, the stormcast that die aren't getting reforged. Mm. Their death is getting cancelled. If you know what I mean? Yes, so like, it's different for them. if I, you know, if I beat up one of your stormcast in shades by, they're not getting blasted back to Azir to be reforged by Sigmar. Mm. That's just, they're, they're trapped in a cycle beyond. Mm. 
the reforging cycle yeah. in this specific place. Which kind of means, it, which helps them to hang on to their identities, which is why they're all named and they all have their own personalities still. So Severin Steelheart is always going to be Severin Steelheart in that, in that little realm. Yeah. But it's cool, a cool reason for the Stormcast to be there. And it's a cool little hook for people who are into Stormcast and, you know, the idea that they'll be help, trying to help their own situation and, you know. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about this as well is that, um, the, um, so Games Workshop have been building towards this for a while, and I quite like the way they tell these stories across multiple game supplements. So the sort of ruined outskirts of Shadespire, not the part of the city that's been sort of existentially plucked from reality and mm. is now suspended somewhere else, but it's it's sort of material ruins in the realm of death are the setting for the skirmish campaign, the oh, yeah. skirmish supplement that came out last year, mm. where you're looking for Shade Glass. Um, also, this leads into what is heavily rumored is coming next, which is related to the uh, Herald of Death model that came yeah. out. Uh, but also some sort of novel stuff that was announced last week, which is that, um, next year's big Age of Sigmar conflict is Nagash versus Sigmar. Yeah. Awesome. And that's because basically Nagash has had it up to his little <laughs> skeleton chin with people interfering in the soul's economy. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's going to finally kick back against the Stormcast. And that's being set up at the moment by Shadespire where. You know, this is, this is a, this is just a little illustration of the consequences of Nagash's anger. Hmm. Whereas that's going to be felt much more broadly across the game, the bigger game next year, which is really exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that because partly because I want to collect a death army and also because I want to fight some skellies with my stormcast. So it's perfect. I just want to set skeletons on fire. Yeah. Well, they're very good at being on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And no problem at all. Um, we should also talk about, so in the manual for the game, which I'm holding right now, um, there is a full list of the warriors of Shadespire, which is the factions both in the core set, but also unannounced or only teased. We've talked about some of this before in the minutes monthly news section, but there is stuff in here that we didn't know. So I thought it might be worth just running through it. Cause yeah, it's sure. kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, definitely. It's not, um, it's law for each of these factions. So we're not really necessarily getting, um, like how they're going to play, but we could intuit some things. We sure can. So what this confirms is that uh, while Steelheart's Champions is the Stormcast Liberator uh, warband included in the core set, the, the game is also going to get the Fast Riders, who are explicitly uh, Vanguard Hunters, led by Hunter Prime Sanson Fast Rider. <laughs> Fire Strider? Fast Rider. Fast rider. Fast, he strides fast a long rider. Way. Fast rider. No, like, so if I was, if he was, he, he I, I am, steps uh, like, or fast I'm, on a horse. <laughs> so, right. If it was, if he was very quick, it would be fast rider. Cause I'm going to be momentarily liverpudlian about that. And, mm. and it's the, the shorter A, right? Yeah. Far as in far away. Gotcha. Strider as mm. in walker. You got fast away. rider. Yes. Fast rider. I just, yeah, okay. No, no, uh, horses or griff. Um, beasts. No, but there is an ether wing in the art. Well, so that suggests that they're going to have a bird friend. The, uh, I, I love the birds. They're terrible <laughs> in Age of Sigma, but the idea of having one in Shadespire would be hilarious. Um, and apparently they were, I think the idea is that, that will, they were part of the expedition into mm. Shadespire along with the other Stormcast Warband. Right. But they got separated. Okay. So. Vanguard Hunters, I mean, Vanguard Hunters are the lighter, like, more lightly armed Stormcast that have ranged weapons, so that'd be interesting yeah. to see if in, there's more of a skirmishy kind of Stormcast playstyle in there as well. Yeah, maybe with a few more models. Uh, the, the weird thing about them is that they're, they're supposed to be light, lightly armoured, but they're actually bigger than my Liberators. 
like the actual models are right. bigger and more imposing. But yes, that's their fancy is that they are rangers basically. Yeah. Rather than warriors. And it'd be nice to have a kind of, and this is interesting because at least what we'll talk about, but to have like a variant Stormcast playstyle, maybe with an extra model, or maybe it'll be like three of them and a bird or something that. Yeah. And that they might have, um, ranged attacks, which so far like range, ranged strikes are actually very limited in the core set. So it might yeah. be like that might be their thing. That's interesting as well from a design point of view at the moment there's no magic and mm. no like bows both of those things could change the game yes which would be interesting yeah um then uh the champions of corn include garrick's reavers who are the blood bound blood reavers <laughs> yep. from the corset but also magor's fiends who are blood warriors so blood warriors if you're not familiar with the way corn's massive list of nouns works <laughs> are the uh the more heavily armored more elite uh servants of corn so blood reavers are the hordes of shite men that run ahead <laughs> and die the chumps and, yeah the chumps and uh blood warriors are the better armed yep. and equipped and trained fighters so this suggests a more elite version of a corn force to mm. go a lot what i'm really interested in is if the upgrades and things for each of these forces are transferable between the two of them. Uh, yes. If there are like, cause at the moment, like the symbol for the, uh, blood reavers is like a corn symbol. So if that, um, is applicable to both, then that's really interesting. Cause then some of those blood reaver, uh, you know, upgrades maybe are more interesting on a more elite character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love the blood warrior models. Like when I do a little corn spin off force for AOS, I wanted to do mostly them. So I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah. That's right. Next, we have one of the ones that's coming out very soon, Iron Skulls Boys, who are the Iron Jaws um, Orc Warriors. That's a warband of four quite heavily armored Orc Warriors that mm. are uh, fast and very deadly. Um, so it exists like somewhere between the sort of Stormcast and the Bloodband, actually. Like they're in that middle ground. Where, yeah. Interesting bunch and devotedly close combat. So yeah. And, and yeah. I want, I want to see what, what their rules are, but I yeah. am actually like, it's interesting that we're both curious in there's two expansions coming out, including the Sepulchral Guard. I'm interested in we're both interested in the opposite ones, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, so if you yeah. end up with the corset and the and the the skeletons, I might end up with the corset and the orcs, yeah, which nice. would be a kind of That'd be really cool. Yeah. Um next we have one of the other unannounced ones, which are the Chosen Axes, which is a band of fire slayers. So mm. nudie little fire dwarves. Probably quite a few of them as well. In the new I think so. Like so they've they've redesigned Fire Slayers as kind of a horde army yeah. in AOS, but not necessarily the case. And it'd be interesting to see because they are supposed to be elite fighters as well. Mm. Um, they're led by a rune father, aren't they? By the artwork. Perhaps. Yes. So they're led by the rune father, the legendary rune father, Fuel Grimnir, which is a good name to have if you are a fire slayer. Um, the, uh, and it's about, uh, they're on a quest for honor as dwarves ever are. Oh, so course. yeah, that suggests a very elite leader. I don't know. It genuinely mm. don't know how they're going to do fire slayers in, although I'm going to put, a, they're going to have either objectives or inherent abilities that trigger off taking damage. I'm just going <laughs> to, let's throw that out. Yeah. Just, because just that's kind of how they tend to work. They yeah, get all the time. Yeah. They get very cross. The old berserkers. Yeah. Then we have the sepulchral guard. Yeah. You know, you're excited about, which is, um, a uh, band of skeletons seeking Nagash's kind of blessing, basically. Mm. Um, and they are led by the Sepulchral Warden. I just like saying Warhammer words, I think. And their band includes the Prince of Dust. 
<laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Their big thing is that um, there's loads of them, uh, seven, I, I think. Yes. And uh, they can come back as often as you want, pretty much, if you've got the warden on the field. But, of course, every time they are struck down, you're giving your opponent a glory point. Uh, so there's supposed to be quite a difficult warband to play because it's when do you actually sacrifice your dudes and when do you bring them back? And of course, um, when they die and come back, that's what inspires them. Um, so that inspired state we were talking about earlier that the blood bound go into, sorry, the blood reavers go into when three of them die. Um, when your stormcast take a shield hit, uh, for the death faction, they come back from the dead inspired. They love it. Yeah. And that's exciting for Corn as well because Corn loves it when things die. Yeah, what the hell is going to fight between those two forces? <laughs> but I love the idea, that, like, so if a Corn warband, because like, there's literally like, you know, the skull harvest begins. It's like the skulls <laughs> everywhere. They won't stop coming out of the ground. Yeah. Um, but like, if it's, <laughs> can they keep claiming the skulls from the same skeleton as it keeps coming back? Do you get a different I, skull? I, it's uh, interesting, isn't it? Is I mean, it like the skeletons in Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, where they just go find a different? Skull? I think that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. It must be because you get a glory point for each one, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a brilliant rule it's for like supermarket uh, sweep for corn. <laughs> <laughs> there's too many skulls. Too many skulls. Uh, there's a, a good rule for uh, the sparkle guard. I think it might be a card or something, but uh, if a couple of them are dead, they count as assisting. Mm. for your guys in combat so as though their arms like coming out of the ground to actually give you those extra assists and to improve your dice rolls yeah that's that's a ploy I think I think that's uh, yeah, a ploy for sense. them where it's like for Sounds the next like activation your dead guys are just dead. there in the ground helping yeah. Uh, the, the, I, I absolutely love the models, which is what makes me like them. But also, they sound like very difficult and yeah, interesting. Yeah, both uh, that warband and the one that we're about to mention have the benefit of being new models for factions that haven't been touched for a mm. long time, and it's just really cool seeing them back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, the Sepulchre Warden, who's the skeleton with the amazing cloak, yeah, is literally like he's the fan. Like, I know we talk about it a lot, but he is the fanciest fucking skeleton. He's delighted ever done. to be there yeah. as well. It's, it's like, so what happy. up, motherfuckers, with skeletons? <laughs> we got this. Is that um, realm? It's exciting. So the next one and the final one in the book is the one that I'm most excited about, which is Spite Claws Swarm, who are the Skaven. Yeah. I'm really excited about new Skaven. New Skaven models. Helps that I just finished a, like, 30-hour Skaven campaign in Total War Warhammer mm. 2, but also just ready for them to be new Skaven. And also, I love the idea that they are basically just trying to loot the place and get out. Oh, yeah. Because Skaven are the only faction that can get between realms without... They can. Without uh, help of a realm gate. So yeah, they're not they're, trapped. <laughs> their ratways are, uh, are, rather than being beneath the old world, beneath the old empire cities, they are warrens that tie the realms together and like, that's their, they've infested yeah. all of reality with that. And also I hope, and I think it's probably reliable to assume that Skaven will be the kind of warband I'm interested in, which is also the reason I like the Corn Warband, where it's a mixture of disposable hmm. grunts and quite scary elites. And that's kind of what I want them to do with Skaven. Yeah, like I cool. want the assassins or the storm vermin or something who are kind of there at the top that you protect and the clan rats that are disposable, but that kind of strategic option for them to run off, scurry off and find objectives. And yeah, things. nice. I really, really want the character with, uh, claws with, uh, obviously they all got claws because they're rats, but, uh, uh, oh, the, the like, the, um, like Wolverine claws, like Wolverine claws, which were a big part of, um, more time. Yeah. They would help them climb. It's and, totally because I had a Skaven warband in more time. That's why I'm so yeah, excited. So it's a good enough reason for me. Like, like they should be there. They should be in the mix, right? Yeah. yeah. If wherever there's a kind of a breakdown, an old city full of treasure, Skaven have got to be there with their weird claws. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. Mm. Like, so that's all the stuff that they've announced. And obviously there's going to be more stuff to come. The other thing that's worth stressing, we obviously refer to the game as Shadespire. But the game refers to itself as Warhammer Underworlds Shadespire, oh, yeah. okay. which is, so this 
my other prediction for the future is that Underworlds is the kind of actual name of this game. Right. Like, there's a sort of generic symbol for the game, which is used for things like deployment zones and things in the game, which is referred to as the Underworlds symbol. So we're going to call it Shades by Forever, but I suspect they would like you to call it Underworlds. Mm. And I would not be surprised if maybe if they do a rotating corset, that the next one isn't oh, in yeah. Shades by. Yeah. If it's like Warhammer Underworlds, Skaven Blight, mm. or Warhammer Underworlds, where are the Dark Elves now? Yeah, yeah. That's completely... <laughs> It'll presumably be an underworld of some kind. Yeah. But, like, that I think is completely believable. That's a very good... That's a, that'd be a cool way for things to go, I think. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, so, long story short, uh, I think we're both pretty excited about yeah. Shades by. Great so far. Can't wait to play more of it. That'd yeah. Awesome. Do you want to play a game now? Let's do it. All right. Um, join us hopefully next week. Well, definitely next week uh, for regular Miniatures Monthly. Uh, it's a good time to get your questions in to miniatures at creatingcrowbar.com if you fancy doing that. Sending us a question for the next episode. Tom, how, I know people have new ways to find you <laughs> yeah. on the social media now. How I've do finally do restarted my um, Instagram account for miniatures painting stuff. And it's called Ludo Paints Minis, which L-U-D-O paints M-I-N-I-S, you know, the words. Yes. Ludo Paints Minis <laughs> on Instagram. Link in the show notes. Uh, my my uh, minis Instagram can be found at instagram.com forward slash exit warp. Uh, I'm on Twitter at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Tom, you're on Twitter at... Uh, B-C-G Ludo L-U-D-O. And we are collectively on Twitter for Minis Monthly at at Minis Monthly. Yes. It's very self-explanatory. So, uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed this bonus pod bonus pod uh catch you next time for more talking about warhammer Woo. Hooray. bye bye